0: This is Passion for Your Passions, a podcast about what makes life worth living. I'm Julie. And I'm Krista.
1: And on this episode, we're talking about movie music scores. most perfect boop on a flute. <laughs> <laughs>
0: just, just, you gotta straighten your back out. Hold I, would, I would love it.
1: If you just, like, have a flute. Like, you know, like how some people have swords on their back? <laughs>
0: just, <laughs> boop! <laughs> then, I used to do that when for I'd carry, like, my penny whistle and just start playing, like, really dramatic songs on a penny whistle in the background. Because <laughs> I got, it was really weird with my, like, hearing... I have a really good ear for music, but I don't have the brain to actually figure out what it is. If that makes sense, like I'm not versed enough in music theory to fully dissect it. So I'll just start playing a song and be like, "What the fuck am I doing?" Oh, it's Queen. <laughs> like I have to sit there and think. So and I listen to a lot of dramatic music, so I'd just be sitting there and be like, "And be like, that's the mob song for beating the beast." Hold on. Well,
1: Speaking of very dramatic music. <laughs> about movie music
0: scores while Julie is and Julie what do you have to start. say about this <laughs> let's start well I guess I should start from the beginning I was a very odd child as you know <laughs> yeah I mean we're both very odd people and it's kind of funny because the more as you get older and you start to think back on things you did as a kid or things that you remember everything starts to line up <laughs> and you're like oh I've always done that okay good to know And I've always been obsessed with movie music. And, I mean, like I said, it started at a very young age. We had all the CDs I had, from being a kid, all the way through high school, basically, were movie music, like, original soundtracks. (laughs) The very first CD I bought was the Prince of Egypt soundtrack. Because that music is the bomb, okay? To this day, it's still one of the best soundtracks ever. And it it's affected every movie I ever loved when I was a kid. Also had a ton of music. Like there was never I'm trying to think of movies that other kids like that just didn't didn't sit with me in the right way. But like the Hunchback of Notre Dame wasn't one of my favorites, which most kids mm-hmm. don't really care for. And it was mm-hmm. specifically because the music from that is it just was great, so amazing. That Wait. one is yeah. It kind of freaked me out a little
1: bit when I was a kid, but the music's still good.
0: Yeah. I'm gonna say his last name wrong, but, like, Alan Manake or Manake, he's the one who did a lot of the classic Disney movies, and so, like, I love a lot of his music that he did. Um, he did The Hunchback of Notre Dame, he did um, Pocahontas, he did all those, like, big, epic classical music backdrops, and then Tom Hulse does the vocals, he's the tenor that did the vocals of Quasimodo from there, and he's an amazing singer, and it's just hit me so hard at a young age that I just needed music to enjoy a movie
1: weird question did you ever watch and or like tarzan
0: fuck yeah i did (laughs) because phil collins went so hard for that movie (laughs) do you know i'll have to share the meme on our page but did you know he recorded every one of his songs in every language they posted that movie in like he personally sang in german spanish and french all of his songs so that it was him singing on every version of that movie Wow. He went hard. He went harder than anybody has ever done. Phil Collins <laughs> I mean, like, is the man. He is the man. He went so hard. <laughs> and it's, I'm so proud of him, and it's so amazing. I love Tarzan. I love that movie <laughs> so much. And I have that soundtrack, too, as you can imagine. <laughs> it's just so good. So good. <laughs> okay, so this started at such a young age for me, without even knowing. I had the Lion King soundtrack, and I would sing that all the time. Even my favorite movie of all time, to this day, is Fifth Element. There's an opera singing scene in the middle of this movie. Like, I need the music, or I won't like this movie. Another reason, like, one of the reasons why I decided to talk about this now is I'm finding it's just so prominent, and every time I share my opinion about a movie. Because, as you know, I'm doing this Nick Cage project, and I, without thinking about it, Every time I write the reviews, I will mention something about the music. Whether it fit or it didn't or <laughs> whatever the consequence was, like, I almost always talk about the music. And I'm like, why do I do that? <laughs> no one no one cares. <laughs> like, why am I doing that? I care. I notice no matter what. So. I care sometimes. When it's good, it's good. I just think,
1: like, I think it's, like, I'm more noticed when it's very good and when it's very bad, I think is the way that I would put it. I don't tend to notice, like, the stuff in the middle. Because it's, I mean, especially, like, if it's just kind of
0: ambience music. Yeah, that's how most people are. And then with movies, I feel like everybody has their one or two things, or a lot of things if they love movies, but they have their handful of things that they pay a lot of attention to. Like, you notice lighting, and you notice, like, the cinematography of how things move. When I only really notice those things if they're really good or really bad. And then mine's music and like cadence of talking, how like um, the character development works. Those are the things that I will always notice while the lighting and everything else. I'm like, uh, <laughs> it wasn't bad enough for me to notice like, or it wasn't good enough for me to appreciate it. Like, that's just. That's, that's why like, we have to make a movie together. That'd be perfect. <laughs> just perfect. <laughs> <but. laughs> But we don't have money. <laughs> yeah. So we have all these ideas of like, fuck! <laughs> we have to pull what they did with The Matrix, which, like, the, I forget the directors, the, like, brothers. Uh, the Wachowski brothers. Yeah. Well, they gave a budget to Warner Brothers, like, hey, we need this ridiculous amount of money to do this movie. And Warner Brothers was like, Pff, okay, we'll give you 20% of that. And as, like, a gamble, they just did that opening scene with Trinity. With that, they took all the money they were given and just did that scene and sent it back and then got the rest of the money. (laughs) That's what we have to do. We have to play that kind of game. (laughs) Like, like we deserve this. That's a dangerous (laughs) game, game. (laughs) but it can pay off.
1: Or maybe we have to get, like, one of those fancy, like, Mandalorian rooms, although I'm sure that that's expensive, but if you could rent one, so you can just do whatever you want. We have 24
0: hours, people! Like, just, let's fucking go! <laughs> We're gonna make a movie! We're gonna go. No, but, I think, have, this is probably one of my greatest passions of all time, I would say. I know for a fact if I decided I wanted to pursue music as a career, it'd be score composing. So, I think about it a lot, and, like, with our podcast, I want to do the music for that. When I read books, I'll think of music for it. When I watch movies, I'll sometimes, like, alter <laughs> what I'm hearing in my head. Like, no, that wasn't right. <laughs> don't like that. And it was funny. I ended up playing this game with somebody that really freaked them out. They would pick, like, a movie or a show score and play it for me and ask me what was going on. Like, in that scene. Or if it was a theme to a show, they'd ask me, like, what do you think the show is about? And I was freaking them the fuck out out (laughs) they sent me i don't remember what the show was they sent me like this piano piece by Jawadi, who loves to do piano pieces and i just went it sounds like i think it's a sitcom uh but it has a lot of dark kind of like deep meaning to it but it's it's like the main character is almost lost like they're kind of walking through this without fully understanding what they're walking through and there's very little humor probably I just said all these specific details, I'm like, but I'm just like blown smoke out of my house. Like I'm just that he went, Oh my god, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> like really freaked them out. I was like, Well then they're a really good score composer. What I don't Yeah, like it's <laughs> Ram like he does really well. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just or someone will whistle something. That I happened at my other job is someone they liked scores and they would whistle and I was go, That's Star Trek movie, scene three, and they're just like, What the fuck? <laughs> I'm like sorry. <laughs> what is wrong? Ignore dude? me. <laughs> ignore me. No, it is,
1: it is definitely an interesting thing I've always found between us, is, like, how into music you are, and then, like, me just not being really. Yeah. Like, I was in band with you, and then I quit the band because our band director basically, uh, I don't know. He was just very strict, and then I wasn't, like, having fun,
0: <laughs> so then I cut the
1: band. And then Joey did band for so long.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I'm the best. <laughs> like, I will destroy all of you. Yeah. Well, we played the same intru- instrument, too. So we were next to each other, and it was still just, like, I was very focused. Yeah. <laughs> it was
1: serious. Playing the flute.
0: Doing your boop, boop. <laughs> flute boops. I think it's my least favorite instrument I play now. <laughs> yeah. I still like that instrument that much. Like, it's not because I played it too much or whatever. It's just, as an instrument, it's just not my favorite. <laughs> it's also, I don't
1: know, it's kind of a difficult one in a way, too. Because, like, you, it's very, like, it's very easy to, like, overcome the flute. So it's like you have to, like, tone everything down.
0: Yeah. Because if it. you try to play loud, it's like, that's not what we want from you. Like, yeah. You know? And I don't like reed instruments that much. When a reed instrument is done right... There's a magnificence about it. Like, it's just, you can't repeat that sound in any other way, and it's so wonderful. That rarely happens. It's almost always like a, ah, you don't belong here. (laughs) What is
1: your favorite instrument?
0: Like, anything, scores,
1: or anything?
0: Uh, I guess technically piano. Piano just has the biggest range, and it is, like, the core of music when you really think about it. When you do music theory, when you do anything, a piano can reflect any emotion, any... Thing you're trying to accomplish. I think the piano just has the most power and range of any instrument.
1: But what emotion does a tuba reflect?
0: I was going to say something mean. <laughs> like, <laughs> never mind. I was like, obesity, wait. Because <laughs> it's just like, I just went, <laughs> I just heard that. In my head as soon as you said it, like, I was like, no, that's mean. That's not what I meant. It's not a bad instrument. It's just, like, where my head went immediately. It's also, also not a mood, but... it <laughs> <laughs> can be. <laughs> it's just not a heaven. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. Um, no, tuba is more of an ambiance than it is a mood, I would say. Like, a tuba is a supporting instrument. I don't think it's a lead instrument. So you can't say it drives emotion as much as, like... Fills in the back. So you can have piano, flute, cello, all these strings and stuff playing this big epic melody. And the tuba would be more in line with the drums. The tuba would be like giving notes to the drums, like beat, in my opinion. It's just tuba, even if you have the best tuba player ever. And It's a beautiful sound. It is not an elegant instrument to play quickly. Like, it doesn't matter how good you are. It just, you can hear the keys. You can hear, like, so much of this instrument just by movement that it's specifically designed to just rest and hold out notes for you and occasionally create a corrupted rhythm, as I like to call it. (laughs) Where it's like, that rhythm was weird. (laughs) Where you heard the tuba, (laughs) but I don't know why. I do have a musician I love called Wolf with two Fs. And he's a beatboxing tuba player. And it's really good. So, again, I'm not bashing the tuba in any way. It's an important, great instrument. It's just, I wouldn't say it has a mood. (laughs) It's not how I put it. It has a purpose. If I think about it so much, I'm just kind of blown away by how important music is to me in movies. And there's so many movies that I don't think I'd like if the music wasn't so amazing about it. And some of those movies are like Minority Report. That's a very kind of average action sci-fi movie and I don't like Tom Cruise and he's the main character but John Williams did the music for that and that was one of the first scores that listening to it by itself made me cry. Like it was such a beautiful suite that he played for that that's just like okay this movie's amazing. Why? Because the music! <laughs> like, like I can't yeah. tell you any other reason. Like it's not a bad movie but the music makes it a great movie to me. You talk about how Phil Collins is the man. John Williams, he was is my the man. first concert that went to was John Williams. John Williams is the man because I think I kind of feel that way
1: about Harry Potter. Um, because I'm, I think I've said this before, but like I'm not a huge fan of the Harry Potter movies. Like I like some of them and I like moments of some of them, but like I just prefer the books really to the movies. But I will say one of the best parts about the movies is the score. Right. Like that main. Theme. Like, I think it's Hedwig's theme, I think is what it's called. It's perfect. Like, that is literally, like, perfect.
0: Well, what's funny about the scores of those movies is it actually got passed on to different score composers to change the mood of how the kids aged. So the first two movies are John Williams, purely all of him. The third movie starts out with, I think, Patrick Doyle? I think he either starts with the fourth movie or the third movie. And that's when they create the window theme, which you hear in the third movie when Lupin is talking to Harry on the bridge, that da 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 Like, it plays into the idea of Hedwig's theme, but they play it on, like, an electronic flute. And it's supposed to represent, like, Harry and his new mood, like, how he's changed. And then there's also Buckbeak's Flight is another, like, popular big piece that they created for that one. And then the fourth movie has, like, themes for everybody. Like, it's such a huge change. They have, like, the darn string theme. They have that plays when, like, Crom is ever on the stage. And that's the other thing about music scores is, like, it teaches you more about the movie if they're done well. You can hear, like, people's themes, people's, like, tones change as it evolves and moves. And, like, it especially reflects in these long, drawn-out, like, multiple movie series. So I think... I know that, like, Alexander Desplat does, like, 7 and 8. And he actually did Twilight. <laughs> i do have a lot of music that's like i've never seen that movie i just know the score composer <laughs> so, like and i like it like i have 50 shades of gray i have that soundtrack and people like do you like that movie i'm like i did watch it it's absolute trash but like i just wanted the music
1: <laughs> is the music
0: good <laughs> <Nah>. it, <laughs> okay it like the score composer i think only wrote like one or two pieces but they do like remakes of these classic songs and i like the sexy remakes they did be square, <laughs> well, they redid like one of the Beastie Boys songs, but they had like some really sexy woman do it. And I'm like, I like it, I like it, <laughs> I like the move. So, yeah, I just know the whole Twilight thing because so it was just funny. I was like, Alexander flat what else did you do? You did Twilight, I was like, oh, because he does the theme statues from the Harry Potter series where McGonagall calls down the statues, and that is an amazing, beautiful score. And so, that's why I looked into him more. I was just like, oh. You've made mistakes. Do you
1: also like the soundtrack from Twilight?
0: <laughs> not as much. <laughs> it's not bad. Alexander Splat is definitely not a, is definitely a good composer. It seems... There's the other thing is when you follow composers, you can see how they change and grow. Like Danny Elfman never really changes and grows, but like... Because he's with Tim Burton all the time and they never change. But his intro stuff is definitely different than what he does now. His intro stuff, he did Fable. He was the composer for the Fable series, and then Tim Burton got his claws on him and never let him go. So then he's done, like, every movie for Tim Burton since, just like John Williams and Steven Spielberg are paired together. So it's also just interesting to see the composer go through their journey and, like, change how they do things. It feels like all the great composers do the theme idea, which is that a character has a song, and you put it into the background or the scores.
1: Yeah, because it can... um... I don't have, like, great examples for this, but, like, I think they do this in TV shows and stuff sometimes, because it, like, you can, like, build nostalgia that way. Like, if it, like, if you have a theme for a character, and then, like, you don't do it for a while, and then you bring it back, it'll kind of make you a little bit, like, Mm -hmm. nostalgic, basically. Right. Yeah,
0: they do that a lot, and then that's part of my later topic, but... I'm sorry. No, it's fine. (laughs) I didn't say (laughs) anything. It's fine. I think it's time for story time. Story time! And I'm looking forward to this one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is kind of like, uh, compiling story time. (laughs) So, this is the epic tale of my cat Bobo. that is his full Christian name, Bobo. Um... (laughs) We called him a lot of things, Boser Boy, Bo... Yep, that's about it. Um, <laughs> I'm used to having a million names for all my pets, but we called him, like, Boser Boy, Bobo, and Bo. I mean, I do the same thing to my cats.
1: I mean, because, like, Mang- Mango, my one cat who's an orange cat named Mango. I never call him that. I always call him Bub, mainly. Mm-hmm. Or Bubbert. <laughs> I call Septimus Fluffer. <laughs> it's,
0: just, it's just how you do, right? So, Bobo, I... Got him as a kitten when I was probably, like, four, five. I was very young. And that cat was a fucking demon. He was, his teeth were so big, they, like, went down to his chin, like, outside of his mouth. And he had some issues. So (laughs) I've technically always been a morning person. And when I was a kid, I used to wake up before everybody. I'd basically wake wake up with the sun. That was the only time I got alone time when I was a kid. And this cat would wait for me to get up. And literally attack me. Like, immediately when I left my room. And it became such a routine that I would just throw him into the bathroom. Like, he would slide and hit the tub and I'd shut the door and then go about my day. (laughs) Like, that was just our routine, right? And then one morning I came out and he leapt off of, like, his cat tree and put his tooth onto my bottom eyelid and scraped it all the way down my face. And my dad is a military man (laughs) and very overprotective. So he came home and saw that. And essentially told my mom, like, you either need to take care of that or I will. And so my mom took him to the vet and was like, okay, so he's a monster. What can we do? And they're like, well, we can declaw him and file down his teeth. if like he's biting people. And so they declawed him and they filed down his teeth that still hung out of his mouth. They just weren't pointed anymore. (laughs) And so then he took it upon himself to just attack more aggressively because he wasn't making an impact. (laughs) And my dad was, like, sitting on his chair, and Bobo just comes up and starts trying to gnaw on his hand and, you know, not doing anything until finally he breaks the skin. And my dad took his other hand and just flicked him in the forehead. And then Bobo was dead still for, like, three hours. <laughs> and then from then on, he was retarded, and everything was fine. Like, he, <laughs> he was no longer rage or whatever was wrong with him. He was just this really dumb, weird, slow cat. And he wouldn't dip his head to drink water. Because if he lowered his head, he would fall in. Like, something really got fucked up in his head when my dad did that. And so he would drink his water by dipping his paw and licking his paw. And he did that up until his last days. (laughs) Like, he just couldn't dip his head like that. And so we have him for a while. We end up moving. And he starts just peeing inside. Like, he can't figure out how to use the litter box anymore. And my parents' solution to all problems with animals was they're going outside now. And so we put this declawed, defanged, retarded cat outside. (laughs) And made, like, a cat house for him. And then we had another cat, Charlie, that we got, like, two years after him. And she started doing the same territorial stuff when we got a new cat. And so she got put outside, even though she was declawed. So our clawed cats stayed inside, and the declawed (laughs) ones went outside. (laughs) So... You know, like, years later, Bobo, he's doing fine. Like, I mean, he looks a little scraggly, but he was always a skinnier, like, tomcat. And he's still completely stupid. <laughs> I can't. He can eat and everything, and he's alive, so we're just rolling with it. And one day in the garage, like, we keep hearing this, like, clanging. We didn't know what it was. And we go out there trying to figure out the source of the clanging, and out from under one of these enclaves of, like, our garage... Bobo comes out, except for there's a can of soup stuck on his head. <laughs> it's clam chowder. He was trying to, like, eat the clam chowder out of the trash and got his head stuck. And so we had to, like, pry it off of him, and he smelled so bad. It was rotten clam chowder on his head. Like, just, oh, my God. <laughs> And my mom told that story to her coworker, and literally the following week, a kitten got its head stuck in a can. It was in our front yard, completely like lost. <laughs> well,
1: okay. So the part though that cracked me up about that part of the story is, is like that coworker was like, "No way! Like that's stupid. Whatever. Like that doesn't happen." And then it happened like two days or something. Yeah, after it happened that. to her too. <laughs> like
0: she's like, "What the hell?" <laughs> We're like, we don't know why this suddenly is happening to all of us. Like, did they change the size of the cans or something, and now it's just a problem? Like, so, yeah, we keep getting cans stuck on cats' heads, apparently. So, I will say that I have two more mini-stories about this cat. This cat has been dead for a while, so it's not like a dramatic, I miss him kind of thing. It's just, it's been a long time. So, he hated all other living creatures still, even though he was dumb. He was just kind of like, I hate all of you, and I'm going to stay up on the porch. And we have this dog named Josie, who was literally the most loving dog you can find. She had the patience of a saint, didn't care, was just this chubby little sausage that loved everybody. And every time she came around, Bobo would hiss and scratch and lose his absolute shit. And she would just ignore him. Like, she'd just be like, whatever, like, it's fine. And one day, he, like, was in the garage, and we heard fighting. And I went out there, and there was this big tuxedo cat that had come in and was beating the shit out of him. Like, he, he's an older, <laughs> declawed, defanged cat. Like, there's no way he's gonna fucking win. And this, ta- this, like, tuxedo cat is mean. Like, he's beating the shit out of him, and before I can get over to him... Josie, like, ran past me, this sausage dog, I'm telling you, she ran past me, grabbed that other cat by, like, the scruff, and threw him at the brick wall. <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> and we're like, holy shit! <laughs> and then, like, the tuxedo cat, you know, ran for his life, and then Josie just, like, went up to Bobo, who was hissing and growling at her, and he just kind of leaned against her, like, I hate you, but thanks. Like, just... <laughs> She was like, "He's part of the family. I'm fucking that cat up, <laughs> but like, even though he hates me. He's part of the family." <laughs> and it, I've never, I never saw that tuxedo cat again. It was the really weirdest. She's like, what? Like she like, threw him at a wall. I was like, "I don't
1: shit. think I've ever heard this
0: part of the yeah, story." Yeah, it was so wild. And like I said, Bo fucking hated her, and she's like, "Your family. We're gonna keep you safe." So my last story about Bo is, as I said a couple times now, it's completely retarded. I can't. Not a fully functioning animal anymore. And every now and again, he'd become very delusional and be, like, really affectionate. Which he never was. And so, we would, like, my mom was standing outside. And Bobo came up to her was just rubbing against her legs. Like, I love you. Everything's great. And then he just starts peeing on her. <laughs> I do
1: remember this. She was, like, wearing
0: Crocs and he just starts standing there peeing on her. <laughs> And she was looking at the pond and she literally just kicked him into the pond. Oh my god. Like just scoop kicked, not like punted. She just like used her and scooped through it into the pond. And I just see him like swimming <laughs> back to the shore. Were you there? I was like I wasn't standing next to her, I was up like on the balcony, and I just see like her <laughs> the pond and him like swimming. Back. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I do remember you telling me that. Yeah,
0: she was like, she told me the story. She's like, I was just standing there, and he was blowing up on me. I'm like, oh, he's so sweet. And then this damn cat just starts pissing off. <laughs> yeah, you guys have all sorts of
1: problems with this. We really do. Well, I will say though, this whole entire episode, what this makes me, what this Bobo story. Is this makes me wish that you had some movie music score that we could play throughout like the- Like Bobo's
0: theme? <laughs> Bobo's theme
1: of his life. <laughs> I, I feel like kicking him into the pond is a weird place to end,
0: but- <laughs> I mean, where else is it supposed to end? <laughs> the tale of Bobo.
1: <laughs> it's um, like a hobbit's journey, but, you know, mainly in your backyard.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we traveled states. He lived in three states. Wasn't he, like, one of the
1: ones that would, like, attack the guineas? Maybe I'm thinking of a different cat. No, he
0: was pulled blown down by then.
1: Okay. <laughs> for some reason, I have memories of, like,
0: no, um, one of your
1: cats, like, would C-Girl. just attack the
0: guineas. Seagirl would run up and, like, boop him. And they'd flip out, and she'd be like, Haha, oh, God. <laughs> like, she'd enjoy it for half a second and be like, oh, Jesus, I like, can <laughs> yeah every time (laughs) but it's because they wouldn't remember that like they could peck her so to be fair like it only happened occasionally she'd be like oh shit like they remembered this time so
1: So you want to talk about so you want to talk about some other songs pieces movies different things is this kind of more like you recommending things to people or
0: like what is this part Well, I have a couple little fun tidbits that people might not realize about music in general and scores. And then I kind of want to talk about, like, because to people who don't listen to music or don't think about it, there's so much depth that you may not fully understand. And I do have a couple scores I recommend, like, just listen to this and try to interpret, like, what's happening. Like, what is going on. Because it's easy to find scores that are just background sound and then there are scores that are pieces of music. Like, they're completely different. And so some of the Funny little things I wanted to mention. Something that I didn't look up. It just kept happening (laughs) and upset me. So I had to research it. Is that scores are technically pieces of music, like songs, right? So what will happen is a score composer or just a composer will write a piece and it will get sold and be in multiple things. So scores aren't always necessarily just like this person or this movie's moment. There's a score composer I really like called Craig, named Craig Armstrong, and he did this piece um, called Finding Beauty, and I don't know what he originally wrote it for, but it is in half of a reality TV show, like, awards and shit. Like, you'll just be watching it, like, I'll see an award show, and I'll see your da-da-da-da-da-da. da, 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 da. i am like, that's Finding Beauty by Craig Armstrong! How many times have you sold this? Like, what is happening? And then the other one that's really popular that cracked me up was Lux Internia, which was done by Clint Mansell for Rec Room for a Dream, which I've never seen. And it's a variation of Vivaldi's Winter combined with, like, the score he did. That score was in the preview for, like, the Return of the King video game. And it always drove me nuts, because I'd be like, I fucking know that! Like, what is that? And then I would hear it on my scores and be like, it's Loxeternia! Like, (laughs) like, why are they playing that in this Lord (laughs) of the Rings preview? Like, that's just so random! (laughs) And so, that happens a lot, is that you'll notice these songs repeated because they'll get so sold or their rights will change or something to that effect, and it just cracks me up that. I'm like, it feels like those songs should have their moment and that's it. And then you hear them randomly and you're just like, you son of a bitch. Like, that's, <laughs> that's not for you. Well,
1: you know, they needed to get a bigger mansion. Yeah. Or something. something. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Probably something
1: along that line.
0: And then I've ranted about it before, but the movie... A little chaos enrages me. <laughs> if you want to understand how important music can be, watch that movie. Because it does the worst job I've ever heard in my fucking life. Like, it is so horrible. So poorly placed. Every time. Like, I could ignore it for half the movie. I, If I just took my brain out of it, I could ignore the music and focus on what's happening. But at the very end it's this big moment they're revealing the garden because it's about a garden and love and bullshit but like they <laughs> have this big moment and there's no dialogue so they play the music you know overhead to be the big point point. and the guy fucking blew it the guy just ruined it like i couldn't watch it i was just like this music's so bad i can't enjoy this final scene i have no closure right now <laughs> like, this is so horrible like i'm so mad And I looked at the composer, I was so mad, I was about to watch all of his movies and just send him, like, a letter, like, you're a failure and I hate you, (laughs) but he didn't do anymore, because everyone realized he was a waste of space, (laughs) I'm just still so mad about that. That was his one chance. His one chance, he fucking blew it, fucking ruined it, waste of time, waste of space, and I hate him. (laughs) I won't give him a name, you need to figure that out yourself. He was some, like, loser cello player who got a chance, and fucked it up, and I hate him. Isn't it?
1: I don't know if I can, like, really think of, like, movie scores that are really
0: bad. It happens like, a lot in horror movies, because people feel like the horror movies, is about the absence of sound, which it is, but then they'll just play, like, a heartbeat, or an uneasy, like, weird note. Tuba. Yeah, <laughs> this is where the tuba mood comes in, and it's not okay. <laughs> and so a lot of horror movies do it, where, but it's... You can ignore it, because the whole point of it is you're not really supposed to like it, and it's an easy fallback. It happens a lot. It happens a lot more than you think, but... No, I mean, I'm sure it does, it's just I can't, like,
1: off the top of my head, I can't think of, like, really bad ones.
0: Yeah. But I do have a whole bunch I want to recommend, and then talk about a couple other important pieces. So, Hans Zimmer is my favorite score composer that's a popular score composer. Him and John Williams are, like, the top two of all time. And his pieces are so, can be so diverse. They're so intuitive and intense. And the one in particular that I want to talk about is Time from Inception. That piece is actually played throughout the entire movie, almost. He does a fugue, which is playing the melody in reverse. So you write the song, and then the fugue version is playing it in reverse. And... He, like, uses this piece to really give you that uneven, that, like, unsure edge of time and that, like, feeling of not knowing what's real and what's not. And he plays it, like, based on what dream, if it's a dream or reality or whatever else. So if you actually listen to music, that tells you more than what the people are telling you. And it's not a complicated piece when you look at, like, just the notes of it. So if you want to hear, like, the impact, like, just watching Inception... And listening to that music really affects, like, how you see the movie. And then another one I wanted to kind of bring up is Marvel in general. Like, the new, the last four sequences. They do a very good job with the themes. And that, for instance, in, like, the Winter, the Falcon Winter Soldier. I almost tricked you. Yeah, you did. Uh, <laughs> the Falcon Winter Soldier. They redo Captain America's theme when he, when the Falcon gets the shield they have like a reprise and play part of his melody to show that he's now Captain America. They even do a darker like it's not the exact same theme, but you can hear pieces of it with like the false like Captain America and everything they play that into there. And if you watch like Infinity War, right before they show Cap like the second, you hear his theme. Duh, 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 like it starts playing, you're like, "It's Captain!" Like it just like gets you excited before anything even happens cuz you know it's his theme and he's going to fucking do something like Marvel does a very good job of, like, playing into these themes and putting them in the background and changing them to evolve with, like, what happens to the character's timeline. Yeah.
1: It's like, uh, like in Game of Thrones, like, with the Reigns of Casimir. Yeah. That part. It's like, so that's, like, the part, like, right before the Red Wedding happens, where, like, all the swords get killed. And so, like, the Reigns of Casimir is, like, this song that is... It's weird, but it gets explained at some point. It's, like, a Lannister song. And I think, like, in that song, like, it is, like, about something kind of gruesome, mm-hmm. basically. So, like, you know, it's at the Stark wedding, and so it's, like, they start playing that, and it's, like, why are you playing that? Like, yeah. that's inappropriate. And then they
0: like. <laughs> so. Well, the other thing is, like I was saying, you know, when you watch Steven Spielberg, you get John Williams. When you watch um, Christopher Nolan, you get Hans Zimmer. When you watch um, Tim Burton, you get Danny Elfman. When you watch HBO, you probably get Raman Jawadi. He does a lot of the pieces for HBO. So he did Westworld, he did Game of Thrones, and um, quite a few other ones. And with Westworld, he actually does, like, popular rock pieces on piano, which is very... I really... That's the other part I want to talk about Marvel, is they're doing the same with, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, where they pick the perfect song and play it, which is another powerful tool that a composer can use like you don't necessarily have to write every piece of music maybe the perfect piece of music's already been written and you just need to place it correctly and it's my new favorite thing that movies are doing that I don't like loud action sequences because I'm just like oh my god it's unnecessary and now that they're playing music <laughs> instead of like hearing brain splatter and gunshots you get music and you get to watch it and I love it I'm like it's perfect like you saved me from like wanting to have to turn the volume <laughs> down and lose my shit so it's just how it's evolving is amazing. And it's, like, classical music today are score composers. Like, that's what it's evolved into, I think. Rather than going to the opera or doing anything else, you're watching a movie and listening to that music. And I'm going to try to wrap it up. I have, like, 20 songs I can recommend. <laughs> I'm just going to give a handful and kind of, like, a short synopsis as to why. So, as I mentioned, like, Minority Report, that sweet by John Williams is a beautiful, beautiful classical piece no matter what. Like, even if you hate the movie don't want to watch it, that piece is just, you can feel the emotion in it. It's a very good piece. Man of Steel, Hans Zimmer did that, the score for that, because he does most of DC's stuff. And Flights is, like, Superman's theme. And it is amazing. It is one of my favorite themes. Him and Wonder Woman, like, just are fucking, they fucking nail it. Like, it's just so good. Um, another, like, lesser known is um, Michael, I'm going to say his name wrong, because it's Italian, Concino. He actually did The Incredibles as well. He does, like, these one-off pieces. He did Labor of Love in the first Star Trek movie from the latest ones. And it is another emotional, beautiful, amazing piece. He has a way of writing that's very, like, sophisticated and, like, you can tell. He's spent a lot of time on music. It's not just on a whim. It's very thought out. And then one that actually won uh, an award is Defined Dancing, which is from Wally. And Thomas Newman did that one. And he's a very, very good composer as well. And It is a beautiful, very sweet theme. It's the theme that plays when Wally and Eva are dancing, like in space. It's like harps and piano. Yeah, I
1: was gonna bring up Wally, but I was
0: scared you were gonna say it was bad, and I was gonna sure, be it's great." <laughs> I love Wally. That the was music's very that was one good. One that I liked a lot. Yeah, that that piece won an award that year. It was actually up against um, one of the pieces from *Slumdog Millionaire* that was written, and it won over that. So it was pretty good. And then Pleasantville is a movie that I love. I can't really explain why, but the music is obviously this huge part of it. And they have a suite from Pleasantville that just is another one of those emotional, just hits you hard. It just, you can feel the anguish. You can feel, like, the joy that gets brought into, like, the crescendo of it. It's an amazing piece. And then um, I told you about Finding Beauty. If you listen to that piece, you'll just suddenly be like, oh my god, I've heard this. You'll just, you'll know, I, everyone's heard it. It's been in so many commercials and so many award shows and shit. You'll know what it is. So, Finding Beauty by Craig Armstrong. I've got two more. Okay. You can say them. It's all good. Okay. I feel like I can't. So, one of the funny things is <laughs> I'm watching all these Nick Cage movies, right? And as I've already said, I have a lot of scores from movies I've never even heard of. <laughs> And one of them was the theme to Bangkok Dangerous. Never seen that movie. But the score, I loved it. I loved it so much. It was by a composer. I don't know anything else by them. Brian Tyler. And I finally got to watch Bangkok Dangerous because it's a Nick Cage movie. The movie's not good. But, like, the music. So good. <laughs> such a... It's only one piece. He literally just wrote one piece and incorporated it throughout the entire movie. But it's because it's a really, really good piece. And it's, in, like I said, all these pieces I'm kind of saying, they're emotional if they're just that strong feeling. Like, you just know exactly what's going on. You can feel what is happening. And this one's an emotional, like, you can tell it's, like, a raining piece. If that makes sense? Like, you can tell there's rain in the background and all this stuff. And you, I sound crazy, but then I watch the movie, and it's exactly what I pictured when I heard this song. And so, to me, that's the score composer doing what they need to do. And the last one I want to talk about is actually kind of a funny one is The Living Sculptures of Pemberley. So, the Pride and Prejudice remake with uh, Karen Knightley. The music to that movie is amazing. And that's the other part of showing what a piano can do. Showing you that, like, all these emotions you can feel just with a piano. And it's one of the first pieces I actually learned on the piano. And this is uh, by John C. Riley, And it's actually the part where she's in his mansion. So, you will recognize the piece because there's no dialogue during this part. It's just her walking through... And seeing his sculpture and seeing these, this movement and these emotions that she's going through just playing gently on this piece of music. And I recommend just that whole soundtrack. That whole soundtrack, like, it's basically all piano, but all these emotions, all of this movement that comes through just on this piano for this movie is spot on. So.
1: Yeah, that one is good. And actually weird, just for me, because for some reason I had this thought when you were talking about all this stuff. Have you ever watched um, Isle for Dogs? It's kind of a weird movie. I don't, like, necessarily recommend it to people because it's Wes Anderson, and, you know, he's a little bit difficult, and the movie, or not difficult, he's difficult for some people, Um, and the movie is a little odd, I will say. That's definitely one of his odder movies, but the soundtrack, because the soundtrack ends up being, like, very Asian, uh, it's very well done. I can't really, like, describe it, but, like, they have, like, this thing where, um, the music will, like, you know, crescendo and, you know, all of this stuff, and because it's like this Asian, like, drum thing. I don't know. I just, I just remember, like, I felt very iffy about that movie, but
0: I remembered like, man, the music, just, like, when the music started going, I was like, man. Well, a lot of, like, Asian music, (laughs) when you break it down, is about the silence, and that's a concept I love that I'm very bad at practicing. (laughs) <laughs> but, like, when you watch, like, martial arts movies and stuff, it's about that one note and then silence, that, like, eerie pause that they always tend to do. So, I mean, every Asian movie's different. All, all music's different. But I find that, like, particularly with Asian movies or Asian music, it's just, like, that silence is what really sets you into listening or in, on the edge of it. Yeah. So.
1: I just wanted to suggest that one for, you know, anybody who wanted a different yeah kind Can of feel. Someone
0: Someone came up to me, they went to go see Baby Driver in theaters when it was out. And they're like, oh my god, you would love this movie. It's all about music. And I went, no. <laughs> I watched it. And I was like, no, they didn't pick the right songs. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it wasn't bad. It was a good movie. The music was just not exactly what it needed to be. A couple pieces went well, but, like, Guardians of the Galaxy does it perfectly well. The songs they pick for the moment, how they display them, the parts they play of them it so well. And so when other movies try to do it and don't succeed, it's just very, like, you're almost there. Like, I get why you picked that, but it wasn't the right one. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: It's all that Disney movie. Uh, all that Disney money. They have the people to sit yeah. there and just think about songs. Think about this stuff. They'll, yeah, get, okay. you know, have ten options, twenty options, a hundred options. They're like, you're gonna... I, I will pay you until you be, get the
0: right song. In high school, I would cool music from, like, uh, public domains that people wrote and stuff. And I would write, I would do a score for, like, my week. Like, I'd have songs that the timing of them depicted what I needed to do at the time. And I, every week I would have a playlist that would play whatever I needed to play. And so one of the ones you probably laugh at that I kept for a long time. Have you heard the song Eyes by Rogue Wave? This is the music I walked out of the school onto the bus with. For, like, a whole year. <laughs> You just
1: plan out your day? I would plan out my
0: day. (laughs) Okay. Anytime I'm working through something, like, therapy-wise, like, if I'm having trouble with something, I will set it to songs so that I can time it and work through it, and it helps a lot. (laughs) And so, yeah, all through high school, I had a playlist every week that would fluctuate, like, a little bit. Some songs, like I said, that one, for a whole year, I was like, this is too perfect. Like, I would literally walk to the beat and everything, like, to the bus. (laughs) Like, that's how it was. And so, like, I'm the kind of person that would know these things, <laughs> it's perfect, okay? And you know when it's wrong. That's what I'll say. You don't always know the right one, but you know it's not the right one. <laughs> so thanks for listening. Hope you keep your passions alive. On the next episode, we're going to talk about podcasts, I guess. It's going to be very meta. It's a crisp episode.
1: When when you got the weird episodes, it's it's probably
0: probably unless it's just really really left field. I'm extreme. I'm either on it or way off it.